Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the serialized audiobook of The Rookie, season one of the Galactic Football League series. Written and performed by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. The Rookie is also available in print, ebook, and unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit slash The Rookie. The bug ships were nowhere to be seen. There wouldn't have been any room for them anyway. The ace hole had been transformed into a living sea of flat black clothing, flat black banners, and flat black flags, surrounded by the shimmering beauty of ice-like blue crystal with a playing field of pitch black grass. The residents of Orbital Station 2 didn't call the stadium the ace hole. They called it the black hole. Four decks of seating provided a capacity of 132,000. Attendance for this game stood at 133,412. The crowd roared and surged and whistled and chirped as the Krakens gathered in the tunnel. Battle scent rolled through the orange and white and black-clad warriors. Another week, another war. This war, they would win. This war, they had to win. This is our chance to make up for lost time, Pine said in his ringing tone of command. This is our chance to get in the hunt! The team let out primitive barks of agreement, yet the veterans' words held little sway over Quentin. Was the fix in for this game? The loudspeaker called out a welcome to the visiting Inath Krakens, and the team swarmed onto the field. Yet as soon as they did, a sound hit Quentin's ears like a thunderbolt. Or, rather, a lack of sound. The black hole instantly lived up to its name, as over 133,412 fans fell stone silent. There were a few thin cheers from the Kraken's faithful, but even those sounds quickly ended, as if the fans felt suddenly self-conscious about making noise in the midst of funeral-like quiet. The transition from cacophony to total silence made Quentin stop in his tracks. The players behind him nearly ran him over. Regaining his wits, he jogged to the sidelines with his teammates. Quentin looked across the silent fans, head whipping from one side, then to the next. His brain could barely process the phenomenon. He walked to Yitzhak. What the hell is this all about? The silent treatment? That's what the death fans do for every home game. Kind of cool, isn't it? Quentin nodded absently. Yeah, it is kind of cool. Well, it doesn't last long, so get ready. Yitzhak's words were cut off by an instant and all-encompassing roar from over 133,000 fans, a roar so abrupt and total it felt like a physical blow. The orbiting death players took the field, resplendent in their flat black uniforms with metal flake red numbers and blue trim. 
Stadium lights gleamed off their metal flake red helmets, each decorated with a flat black circle. Wow, Quentin said. That's pretty impressive. Yitzhak nodded. Yeah, they really put on a show. It's all a head game, and they've got over 100,000 fans playing along perfectly with the script. Yeah, Quentin said. Just a head game. He hoped Yitzhak didn't see that the head game had registered an impact. The roar to silence to roar definitely unnerved him. For a second, he was happy that Pine would be taking the first snap and not him. But it was a brief second. The orbiting death wasted no time showing why they were tied for first place. That reason being running back Jew Tweedy. At six foot nine, 385 pounds, with a 40-yard dash time of 3.6 seconds, John Tweedy's younger brother was a human wrecking ball. Add to those stats a few more. He had a vertical leap of 64 inches, could squat 1,500 pounds, and could knock out 47 reps on the standard 300-pound bench press test. Virak the Mean, Chodo the Bright, and, of course, John Tweedy had been waiting weeks for this moment, waiting to show the league their medal. But Quentin wondered if they now wished they'd just stayed home. The three linebackers brought the house on every tackle, but through the first quarter, he had yet to see Jew knocked backward. The Mad Jew, as he was called in the papers, rumbled into the hole, lowered his thick head like a medieval battering ram, and plowed forward with great pain and suffering to all those that stood in his way. Death quarterback Ganesha Fritz wasn't the greatest signal caller in the galaxy, but he provided exactly what the death needed. Short, accurate passes to keep the linebackers from constantly keying on Jew. The death utilized a simple strategy. Hold on to the ball, pass when the linebackers cheated up, and keep giving the rock to Jew. By the end of the first quarter, the Mad Jew had racked up 52 yards on seven carries, with one phenomenal 12-yard TD run in which he broke tackle attempts by Maya Nicole at the line of scrimmage, John Tweedy at the nine, Chodo at the six, and Berea at the one. Well, Quentin couldn't exactly call that last one a broken tackle, because all Berea really did was get in front of Jew and get run over. That last hit drew roars of approval from the crowd. It also broke Berea's left leg. Tiburon filled the cornerback spot while Doc tended to the wounded Sklorno defender. They'll keep pounding on him, Yitzhak said, referring to the linebacker's never-ending suicide assaults on Jew. He's got one weakness. He can't hold on to the pellet. Quentin nodded at this wisdom, but wondered that if a fumble ever did occur, would there be anything left of Chodo, Virak, or John Tweedy to jump on it? Jew's performance seemed to inspire Mitchell Fayette, who ran like a man possessed. Fans of the running game were not disappointed by Krakens versus the orbiting death. And it was a good thing that Fayette ran so well, because Donald Pine was simply not his usual self. By the end of the first quarter, the two-time champ, the king of the short game, was 5 for 12 for 27 yards. Quentin watched him watched him carefully. Is he tanking or just playing bad? Quentin found himself trying to give Pine the benefit of the doubt, 
But his eyes told him a different story. The Death's defensive secondary just didn't seem that impressive. Haywick and Scarborough looked open several times, but Pine's passes either fell short or were never thrown at all. With each possession, Quentin's anger grew. Possession number one. A run, one incomplete pass, a sack. Three and out. Possession number two. Sacked on third and long. Possession number three. Two completions, three incompletions, punt. Possession number four. Three straight completions, then an interception. Possession number five. Two strong runs, then a sack and a pine fumble, death's ball. Jesus, Yitzhak said quietly. Three sacks already. Pine never gets sacks, and he never fumbles. We're in some deep doo-doo, my friend. Quentin kept watching. If it was a tank, as soon as the death got up by two or three scores, Pine would strike to make it close. As the second quarter dragged on, the Madju ripped off a 28-yard touchdown run, putting the death up 17 to nothing. Richfield returned the following kick to the Kraken's 12, but Quentin had eyes only for Pine. If he's tanking, he'll come back strong to make it look good. Pine dropped back on the first snap. He planted. No busy feet this time. He stood tall in the pocket like some heroic statue. She's open! Itzok's excited voice called to Quentin's right, but Quentin just watched Pine. A defensive lineman, the same one who already had two sacks, closed in, gathering up for a perfect blindside blast on Pine's back. Take him deep! Itzok screamed. Pine cocked back and let the ball fly. He didn't have Quentin's strength, but there was nothing weak about the throw. The ball shot downfield, but Quentin watched Pine. The lineman closed in, only a half second behind the throw, expanding violently for a blindside shot. Pine took one small step forward. The lineman shot past to fall in a clumsy, sliding heap on the ground. Pine, you tanking jerk. That same lineman, making that same blindside approach, had earlier racked up two sacks. Yet this time, Pine had slipped by as if he had eyes in the back of his head. Not eyes in the back of his head. He just knows where every player is at at all times. After watching Pine up close and personal for six weeks, Quentin knew the veteran was letting those sacks happen. Pine was so good, so unbelievably in control of this game that he could choreograph a tanking without anyone suspecting. After all, what quarterback can dodge a blindside sack, right? Donald Pine. That's who. The crowd booed deeply as Haywick crossed the goal line for an 88-yard touchdown. Yitzhak ran onto the field for the extra point as Pine ran off. Quentin's anger rose another 10 degrees, then popped almost audibly. Quentin met Pine on the sidelines. Nice pass, you piece of garbage, Quentin said. Pine just nodded and kept walking towards the bench. Hey, loser, I'm talking to you. Quentin grabbed Pine's shoulder pad and whipped him around. Pine's eyes went wide with surprise, then narrowed with anger. Leave me alone. You throw two more TDs and I'll leave you alone, you coward. Quentin pointed his finger straight at Pine's nose. Other players turned to watch the confrontation. Shut up, kid, Pine said. 
I got a game to play. A game? Is that what you call it? Pine stepped forward, going chest to chest and nose to nose with Quentin. You want to make a move, rookie? Then make it now. Quentin cocked his left fist and started to swing, but was jerked away by strong human hands. Quentin's anger soared to a new level. He twisted and threw a hard left cross at this new foe. His fist smashed into Mitchell Fayad's jaw. Fayad's head snapped back into his left. He slowly turned his head back to look into Quentin's eyes, working his jaw from side to side. Are you finished? Fayad asked. Or do I have to hit you back? Quentin felt his anger seep away. His face felt scaldingly hot. Ah, Mitch, I'm sorry. I said, are you finished? Quentin nodded. Good. This is not the place for this behavior, Quentin. Now calm down. You are disturbing the team. Quentin nodded again. He had never felt so embarrassed. Once again, his temper had got the best of him. Maybe he could make it up to Fayette later. Then again, maybe not. He had just hit the man in front of 133,000 fans and probably another 3 billion watching at home. He walked down the sidelines, away from Pine. Anger returned, but this time, it was a cold, calculating anger. Not now. Not now, Pine old kid. Not when we can climb back into the hunt. Quentin had to think. He looked around the sidelines, searching for an answer. He couldn't tell Hokor, not now. The coach wouldn't believe him. Even if he did, Pine's career was over. Not to mention when Greedock found out, probably his life. Quentin didn't know what he was looking for until he saw it. Shyad the Thick. The drug dealer. Holy crap, Quentin said to himself. We might win this game after all. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. 
That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. You want drugs now? Shyad said in a whispered hiss. It's the middle of a game. What do you want sleepy for? Just give it to me, Quentin said. I know you got it in your locker. I know you wouldn't let your shipment out of your sight. Now you either give me enough to knock a human out cold, or you and I are going to hook right now. Shyad's eye went from clear to light translucent green. I would kill you, human. Maybe so, Quentin said. But if you and I go, I'll make sure I hurt you enough to keep you out of the game. And you don't want that today, do you? Quentin gestured to Virak the Mean and Chodo the Bright. Both warriors were on training tables, Doc and Quith leader trainers tending to their wounds. Chodo's right pedipalp quivered sickeningly, even as he lay perfectly still on the table. The pedipalp looked broken, a very painful injury from what Quentin had heard. John Tweedy might have been hurt as well, but no one knew, because he stood in front of his locker, bashing his forehead into the metal grate. His tattoo scrolled nothing but gibberish. His lips were frozen in a permanent snarl, and tears of rage trickled down his cheeks. But I get to start the second half, Shyad said. You wouldn't do that to me. I haven't had a chance to play first string all year. Sure, Quentin said. You'll start if you give me what I want. Shyat looked back at Quentin, and the eye slipped back to clear. I will give you the drug. Quentin smiled a malicious smile. He was halfway home. Hokor worked the holoboard, outlining a new defensive strategy designed to shut down Jew. The defensive players, except for Virak and Chodo, crowded around the board, pointing excitedly and offering suggestions. The Krakens were down 17-7, to yet the defense showed no sign of letting up. They couldn't wait to get back on the field and take another crack at Jew. Especially John Tweedy. The human linebacker's eyes were as wide as wide could be. His nostrils flared in and out, and every word was a guttural scream. Pine was the kind of quarterback who could throw five interceptions in a game, yet never be pulled, because his next three passes might hit for touchdowns. That was, of course, when he was trying. Pine sat in front of his locker, reviewing defensive sets on a portable holotank. Holding a water bottle, Quentin walked up and sat down. Pine glared at him with a look that combined hate and shame. Come to yell at me some more, kid? Quentin shook his head. I came to apologize. Pine raised a suspicious eyebrow. Apologize? You? Quentin shrugged again. Look, you've got some stuff to deal with. I shouldn't have let into you on the field. We can talk about it later. He handed Pine the water bottle. Pine took it, his eyes never leaving Quentin's face. This isn't my choice, Pine said. I just want you to know that. I know, Quentin said, and walked away. Pine took a long drink from the water bottle, then turned back to the holo tank.
The orbiting death received the second half kickoff. Shoto the Bright lasted only three plays until he tried to arm tackle the mad Jew. Trying to take down Jew with a broken pedipalp was a bad idea at best. Jew ripped through Chodo's valiant effort, leaving the Quith warrior writhing on the ground. Shyat the Thick ran onto the field to take Chodo's place. Samuel Darkeye was Chodo's normal backup at outside linebacker, but Hokor needed Shyat's size to try and stop the mad Jew. The Kraken's D kept hammering at the Jew, and the Jew kept hammering back, yet the fumble fruit of his so-called slippery hands never seemed to materialize. At the end of the drive, to quite literally add insult to injury, Jew crossed the goal line with John Tweedy on his back. Extra point, good. Orbiting death 24, Krakens 7. Richfield returned the ensuing kick. The Krakens' offense took the field, starting from their own 34. Quentin watched carefully. He'd given Pine enough sleepy to knock out a key lineman. If he gave too much, the overdose could easily cause brain hemorrhaging. Quentin hoped that wouldn't happen, but he had a game to win. The huddle broke, and Pine walked up to the line. He seemed to walk slower than normal. He looked around a few times, then shook his head violently and lined up under center. A handoff to Fayette picked up four yards. The team returned to the huddle, but Pine stayed where he was, staring down at the grass as if it were the most interesting thing in the known universe. A blast of adrenaline shot through Quentin's body. It was working. Fayette walked up to Pine, who continued to stare at the ground. A hurrah ref floated up to both humans. Pine stared at the Zeeb as if he had never seen such a thing before. A steady murmur burbled through the capacity crowd. Like most of the players, they wondered what was going on. Pine turned to Fayette and said something. Fayette instantly signaled for a timeout. Barnes! Hokor called. Let's go! Quentin followed Hokor onto the field. They ran up to Fayette and Pine. What in the name of the mother of all is going on here? Hokor barked. His fur fluffed up with anger. Um, Fayette said. Uh, I think Pine was hit in the head or something. Hey, Pine said with a smile, never looking away from Fayette. I can see right into Fayette's brain, man. Right inside. Pine, snap out of it. Fayette is thinking about a ham sandwich. No, I am not, Fayette said. Pine, are you okay? Ham sandwich with Texas mustard, Pine said. Don't deny it, you liar. I can see your thoughts. Pine, you're going to have to sit out a few. Hokor signaled to Doc for the med sled. But I am not lying, Fayette said. I do not like mustard. Hokor turned to Quinn. Okay, Barnes, it's up to you now. We need some points on the board. Just run the plays that are called. Yeah, I know, coach. Hammond, you are a beautiful thing, Pine screamed. Don't fight your urges, Fayette. Doc flew up to Pine, the med sled right behind him. Pine pointed a finger in Fayette's face. You know how many pigs die every year? Their lives are on your conscience, you swine eater. I kind of hate mustard, Fayette said. Quentin sat Pine down the med sled. Doc, get him out of here, now. Doc led the sled off the field. Pine carefully watched the grass go by. Quentin and Fayette walked back to the huddle. The team looked at Quentin with a new expression. Like I'm the savior. 
They think I can pull this one out. The thing was, he thought he could pull it out. They'd spent a half game of futility and only had seven points to show for it. Quentin knew he needed to get these guys some momentum, and he needed to do it quick. Okay, they've been blitzing all day. Let them come. We're going quarterback draw on two, on two. Just give them a good fit and let them come by. The huddle seemed revived with electricity. Dive right to fan! Hokor called in his earpiece. Quentin nodded, then broke the huddle. Hokor's plays would have to wait. He knew what his team needed. They needed a burst of excitement, not a methodical ground game. Quentin surveyed the defense as he lined up behind center. He'd guessed right. They showed blitz all the way. Orbiting Death ran a 5-2 defense, and both Quith linebackers leaned forward on all fours, weight on their arms. Red 21! Red 21! The linebackers leaned farther forward. Quentin waited a second to give the key linemen a chance to pick their targets. Hot, hot! The death linemen and linebackers surged forward with a metal plastic crash against their backpedaling offensive enemy. Quentin dropped back three steps, planted, and sprang forward. The blitzing defense didn't even have a chance to slow down before Quentin was past them, moving like a tall, strong wind. His first five steps took him ten yards downfield, leaving seven defenders behind him. The defensive backs reacted instantly, but the three-step drop had given Haywick and Scarborough a chance to move into blocking position. The two receivers danced with the safety and free safety that tried to avoid them. They weren't good blocks by any means, but with Quentin's speed, they were more than enough for him to shoot past. Everything moved in slow motion. Quentin suddenly saw every last detail the field had to offer. The left cornerback came from his right side. She dove for his legs. Quentin planted and spun outside, a whirling blur, the cornerback grasping only empty air as he straightened and moved downfield. The right cornerback closed on him and he bounced outside. He saw everything. Her raspers hanging out just a bit from her chin plate. Her flat black uniform flapping slightly with each powerful thrust of her long legs. She moved in. She reached out. Quentin felt the blast of something primitive. His lip curled up of its own accord. He felt the strength of a supernova in his limbs. He switched the ball to his right hand and reached out with his left, grabbing the cornerback by the neck just as she tried to wrap around his waist. He squeezed and lifted. She was so light. Like a tribesman carrying a spear, he ran another five yards with her neck in his hand, her feet dangling uselessly, her eye stalks showing sudden pain and fear. He casually tossed her away as one might discard an apple core. She flew through the air, landing heavily on her head, tumbling in a rolling heap. He felt something grab at his back and try and pull him down. The extra weight slowed him, but only for a second. His legs pumped with the power of an entire universe. The weight fell away, and he was once again free. He distantly heard the roaring boo of a crowd, a faraway noise that was none of his concern. He crossed the goal line, and the world blinked back to real time with a rush of deadening sound. Quentin tossed the ball to the floating hurrah ref, then knelt and plucked a few blades of black grass. 
He sniffed deeply. Smelled like a sappy pine tree. Haywick and Scarborough arrived suddenly and leapt on him hard enough to knock him over. Touchdown, Krakens! 62-yard run by Quentin Barnes! The loudspeaker blared amidst the crowd's boo and the hiss of quith workers scraping in derision. Quentin laughed and pushed aside Haywick and Scarborough. He stood, only to be knocked down again, this time by Fayed and Kobayashi. What an excellent run, Fayed screamed at him, his face mask smashed against Quentin's. A much better use of energy than punching me in the face! Quentin managed to stand amidst friendly but hard slaps to his head and shoulder pads. He ran to the sidelines and was engulfed by teammates. They seemed energized, as if they were up by four touchdowns instead of down 24 to 14. Barnes! Hokor screamed in his headset. What was that? I called a dive! Sorry, coach, Quentin said. I thought you said quarterback draw. You dirty, lying human! Run the plays that I call! Yes, coach. Gotcha. The long touchdown run was like the harbinger of doom for the orbiting death. Two plays later, John Tweedy came free on a linebacker stunt and put the first really solid hit on his brother, Jew. The ball popped free, wobbled on the ground, where Shyatt the Thick smothered it. The death had the lead, but something intangible had changed hands. After a pair of passes to Kobayashi, Fay had scored on a 15-yard run to cut the lead to 24-21. In the fourth quarter, Quentin dissected the death secondary, as he knew Pine should have done, hitting Scarborough for two touchdown passes. Jew fumbled one more time, setting up the second TD strike to Scarborough, but the wrecking ball running back couldn't be completely stopped. He scored on a long 44-yard run that left John Tweedy on his rear and put Shyatt on the sidelines for the rest of the game. When the final gun sounded, Quentin had led the Krakens to a 35-31 win, 28 of those points coming in the second half. There was a noticeable difference between a 1-2 locker room and a 4-2 locker room. Players laughed and joked and shouted. The Pioneers had lost again, were now 4-2, and two, and still had two games to go without their star quarterback. The Glory Warpigs had soundly whipped the Woo Wall Crawlers 24-6 to move to 5-1. The Krakens were now only one game out of first and had to go head-to-head with the Pigs in Week 8. A conference title was no longer a fantasy. They were three wins, their own, and one loss by the Pioneers, away from winning the championship. Every human took their turn coming up to Quentin and giving their respects. You're a stone-bred monster, John Tweedy shouted, hugging Quentin with his powerful arms. Huge comeback, kid, Yitzhak said with a massive grin, tussling Quentin's hair as if he were a little boy. Quentin pushed Yitzhak's hand away, but laughed along with him. Everyone wanted to congratulate him. Everyone, it seemed except Donald Pine. Pine's ham sandwich fixated buzz had worn off just as the fourth quarter ended. He sat alone in front of his locker, still dressed in his soiled uniform, his head hanging in his hands. Quentin felt a pang of pity for the man, but he chased that thought away. Pine made his own bed, and if sleeping in it sucked, then that was the breaks. 
Quentin had kept his secret, and even that was more than Pine deserved. It didn't matter. The Krakens were four and two, and almost, almost in control of their own destiny. League Roundup, courtesy of Galaxy Sports Network. The quith irradiated conference standing saw a major shakeup this week. The INF Krakens, 4 and 2, crawled another thin notch higher in the standings with a 35 31 upset win over orbiting death, 4 and 2. The Krakens continued to show no continuity at quarterback, as this week veteran Donald Pine was ineffective, while rookie backup Quentin Barnes led the team to a come from behind win. The Wichock Pioneers, 4-2, seemed to be walking away with the conference title, but without star quarterback Condor Adrian, they lost their second straight game, this time 24-8 to the Grontac Hydras, 3-3. First place now belongs solely to the Glory Warpigs, 5-1, who thrashed the Woo Wall Crawlers, 1-5, by a score of 35-3. The Sheb Stalkers, 4-2, remained in contention with a key 17-14 win over the Big Diggers, 2-4. Arkham, all-pro cornerback for the Diggers, notched her 10th and 11th interceptions of the season. She leads the conference in interceptions for the season, well ahead of the War Pigs' Toyonaka, who has eight picks so far this year. The Sky Demolition 0-6 still can't find a win, this time losing 32-10 to the Quith Survivors, who are 3-3. Three three. Deaths! Shock Artalo, offensive guard for the Quith Survivors, was killed on an illegal hit by Yala the Biter. Yala has been suspended for two games. Week 6 Players of the Week Offense, St. Petersburg wide receiver Glory Warpigs hauled in 12 catches for 162 receiving yards and 3 TDs. Defense, Kitiara Lomax, linebacker Big Diggers, 9 tackles, 1 interception. You have been listening to The Rookie, Season 1 of the Galactic Football League Series. Produced by Ariok Morningstar, with post-production by Steve Rickyberg. Written and performed by Scott Sigler. For more information on Scott and more free stories, go to scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song The Kids Are Coming For You by the band Super Weapon. Superweaponband.com. You're trying to say I'm hurting the air The kids are coming for you Nothing you can do They're coming for you The kids will pitch you Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.